I hate it's like it's like starting a play. I like hate having the first line in a play. Mm-hmm. I know. It's like if I'm in the second line, I'm great at the second line of a no, show. But this is the first I line. I hate of having play. the first line of a play. I know. What about this one? Um, I don't know, not tonight. Okay, what the fuck is wrong with you? Okay, what about this one? No, that one guy's in it with the. You know. This is Johnny Utah, Ohio State Buckeyes All Conference, remember? Mastery. Ooh, here's one. Mastery. Um, I don't know about this one. Let's keep looking. Okay, now that's the one. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Hey, yo, lesson here, babe. You come at the king, you best not miss. Hello, and welcome to uh, episode, I guess, two, technically, of the Couch Potatoes. I'm uh, your host, Kyle Daniels, and joining me as always is Hannah. Uh, today we're gonna do something just a little different before we start into things as we're gonna normally do them. Um, since we're gonna talk about such like mm, mid class, not trashy. I don't like the word trashy. Mid class. Middle class. Middle class. Middle class. Like I would say, like cult favorite or like oh, underground favorite. Yeah. I don't know. Um, well, Less, lesser known beloved movies. Not. <laughs> avant-garde tier sure. stuff. Not cinema, but no. it's not garbage either. <laughs> no, Scorsese. Um, so since we're not going to talk about like that we're high class... We're also not going to continue to throw barbs at Martin Scorsese on the first episode <laughs> of this podcast that we're recording. I'm just going to... I'm just going to put myself in that camp right now. <laughs> I'll fight Marty. He wants to fight. <laughs> Meet me in the streets, Marty. Meet me in the streets. Mar- I, Martin, I respect you as a filmmaker, and I respect your reticence to the MCU. Just I, let it be said. I, I respect, respect your it. films. I don't respect <laughs> your opinions on movies. Um, anyways, but since we're going <laughs> to... Since we're going to... Uh, wade in the shallows, I guess. Um, I thought it would be a good idea to let you guys know where we're coming from. And the kind of things that we like in general. Um, just to give you kind of an overview, since we don't have like a body of work as journalists or critics, reviewers, anything like that. Well, we have a body of work, but as it is a yeah, theat- performance, not it, as well, as it is a theatrical body of work, it's not as accessible to people who may be seeking out this podcast. As, the mass people. Yeah, well, as as it may not be as accessible to the as things like journa- journalists or movies or anything like, you know, real. So, you know, this episode is to establish our credibility, as it were. Yeah, but you know that we have decent taste. Well, I'd we, say good. We think we have decent taste. We. I'd it, say good. I think you have decent taste, and I don't know. I don't know. I was listening to music earlier today, and I was like, you know what? Pretty good taste in music. Louder. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, so we're just going to give you, like, some top fives of the things that we love. Um, Music, movies, TV, books. um, Just kind of give you a perspective of where we're coming from and the things that have influenced us as artists and, uh, I guess, culture seekers 
Um, things like that nature. So I guess diving right on in. Well, you like, I guess about you don't have to listen to this podcast to listen to like this and this particular episode to listen to this podcast. But oh it's no. A, Please ignore it. It's probably going to be really bad and compared to other things. It's a good way to get to know us, I guess, and get to know, like, where we're coming from and and contextualize your listening to our opinions if if you're so interested in the meta, in the meta-ness of that. Um, I'm always interested in the meta. Well... Don't steal that from me. Uh, give I'll me more you. Brecht. I got a whole de- oh, fuck. Uh, I got a whole fucking degree in Brecht, so so we can fight about that. Um, but you were saying we should probably get into it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> let's just kind of dive right in. Um, should we go backwards? Five to one, obviously. It's probably uh, for the best. Yeah, probably for the best. Probably for the best. I I have uh, I'm I didn't look over what what mine were, but. I think I have at least That's good. In all of them. Coming unprepared? I'm not coming in unprepared. <laughs> I, for the record, I, so, the list that I'm going from, the list that I'm going from, I haven't looked at since I made them when Kyle requested that I make them, like, six months ago. So I'm sure that my, not only have my taste, my ass. not only have my taste changed, but I'm sure that I... I'm sure that I'm going to be dissatisfied. Oh, I guess we should mention before we get into this. This is on the eve of us going to Sundance. Yes, it is. This is, uh, This is the night before. This is actually, I guess, technically in 10 minutes, it'll be the day of us yeah, going to February Sundance. February 1st, 19, or 2021. Not 1990. For all the survivors of the apocalypse <laughs> sure, out there that yeah. might be listening to this, this okay. is February 1st, 2021. Uh, Sarah Connor and John Connor, if you can hear us, please endure forever. Um, but be, this, yeah. To contextualize so, <laughs> that, we watched both Terminator so movies on the, last night. <laughs> on the eve of us going to our first ever film festival, um, which thanks to COVID, I guess, is a bright spot that we're actually able to go to one virtually. Um, I guess getting our taste out there is pretty good. Pretty, yeah. pretty decent idea. Or at least what was at one point my taste, which again, I made this list. Let me see what the date was. October 4th, 2020. So... You know. uh, how much has happened since October 2020? Well, I don't know. My opinion changes daily, as you I've know. I've listened to a lot That's... less punk music in the last since November. <laughs> since like November yeah, 2nd, well, I've like listened to a lot since, less protest punk since, music. Uh, yeah, the world started to stitch itself back together. But yeah, a lot, lot That's happier. Here. Listen, been That's listening to B by there. Common a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, real happy album. Like yeah. jazzy hip hop, absolutely. <laughs> um, I guess it's a good place to start though. Is music? Music. All right, are we albums? I've always said that, like, music's a really great way to identify if you can get along with someone. So I guess, like, if well, you're That's, like, one it, of the first things you and I ever talked about was music. Yeah, so, and, like, like, if you've made it past seven minutes of our bullshit, I guess you can listen to <laughs> what kind of music we like. Right. <laughs> um, so let's just start with our top five albums uh, that we... Not, like... And this is, to clarify, these are not top fives of what we think is the best. It's, it's what we like personally as our favorite. Right, because like I think that's a difference. Well, yeah, or like what what has the most meaning in your personal mythology? I guess. Right, because like I mean, I can quantifiably say that certain movies are justifiably the best movies made, technically, theatrically, or you know, cinematically, but might not necessarily be something that I want to watch all the time. Yeah, and it's just something that you like. I don't know. I feel like all of the 
just looking over my list now for the first time since October 4th, 2020. Um, <laughs> I feel like all the albums that I have on my list are albums that I like not only admire the craft of, but I admire like that I got the context of and held close to like my own understanding of what they were yeah. right away. So All right, so let's just dive into it. And also, to be clear, none of us know either of the other's lists no. because Although, we're very bad at planning shit. Well, I can almost guarantee that I did share this with Kyle at one point, but there's no way he remembers it, so this will be a surprise right, for both great. of us. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, babe. <laughs> so diving right into it, why don't you start off with your number five. My number five. My number five album is an acoustic album. Um, oh, from the night, from yeah. What is it? Is it? No, is, is it? Is it Allison Chains's Jar of Flies? Oh, fuck, because... I thought you were gonna say Unplugged. No, no, no. This is a different acoustic album, which was not a live recording from the new slash alt slash heavy metal band Allison Chains. It came out in between Dirt and I believe their self-titled album Allison Chains, which came out the year I was born, '96. But this album's got some of the best songs you've ever heard on it. It's got Rotten... It opens with Rotten Apple, which if anybody saw my acclaimed LOL production of The Crucible featured that song. And it also has the song Nutshell on it, which is a personal favorite. Um, just overall, like, super out of character album for a metal band to do a completely acoustic album. And it was, like, one of the last ones to really feature, like, Lane Staley's voice and, like, its full glory before he really started to deteriorate as a result of his addiction. So just just kind of one of the best albums there is. I've been listening to it since I was like 16. It's one of my dad's favorite albums. It's one of my favorite albums. Just one of the best there is if you're a grunge fan such as myself. Oh, <laughs> um, I guess I'm a grunge fan. You guess. <laughs> you guess. I did live in Seattle what's for not three to, years. Yeah, what's not to love? It's. <laughs> um, I mean, it's not equivalent to. It's angst. To... It's punk. It's. Yeah. It's widespread. Is perhaps that what you don't like about it? No. It's just sometimes I've tried to move away from sad boy stuff in my late twenties. Yeah. Huh? Successfully, I may add. Yeah, unsuccessfully, I may add. <laughs> Um, so I guess my number five uh, is Back to Black by Amy Winehouse. Um, mm. Yeah, fucking love that album. It's a great album. Um, it was probably like, so I guess part of it is like when I got into music, because let's see, the first CD I bought was American Idiot in 2006, because I was an emo kid. Um, but Back to Black came out in that same year, and I saw the rehab music video on VH1 Jumpstart before going to school. Mm. Um, and so I've kind of been a fan of Amy Winehouse ever since. Um, and like, I mean, I have the Back to Black vinyl. I have the deluxe edition downloaded on my phone. Um, it's just one of my favorite albums of all time. Um, I mean, the first three songs are fucking bangers. Rehab, Miss, Me and Mr. Jones, um, You Know I'm No Good, Back to Black tears dry on their own and then you had like valerie the bonus i was tracks. gonna say i love her cover of valerie That's yeah on that the album. bonus tracks and then on the vinyl that i have there's actually this secret version of you know i'm no good that was only released on the uk vinyl edition that features a uh rap 
verse by Ghostface Killa that fucking slaps. She has a song that features Nas too, doesn't she? Um, I think so. I am super embarrassed. Well, not so much embarrassed as it is showing my age in that I didn't really know who Amy Winehouse was until she died. But my mom was a super big fan of hers. And so when she died, like her albums became like, like daily listening in the car and shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, I mean, she's, her voice is incredible. Yeah. And like, I mean, truly a voice of a generation and not to mention her songwriting and just like the, I've always dug the smoky jazz voice, as you can probably clearly tell from Hannah's voice. Um, (laughs) And just like, it's great. And like, have you seen her documentary? Yeah, once, and then I couldn't watch it again. Yeah, it's a rough one. It's a rough one, but it's like, it's excellent if you haven't seen it. I mean, like that quote. That quote about her is, um, oh God, I can't remember. This is totally paraphrasing. I can't remember who said it on that documentary, but it was like she was singing like a thirty-two-year-old jazz singer at sixteen. What did you expect to happen to her? Yeah, and like oh man, we'll have to look up exactly what that quote is. Yeah, but the, like that's so tragic, and like kind of the thing about like artists and art in general is that like yeah, some of the most like you know, greatest art comes from the most darkest or depressing times and, like, the effect that it can have on the artist itself and, like, the way it's received. I don't know. It's great. It's, like... Not to be too much of a spoiler, but that very inquiry is the core of one of my top five books. God, well, <laughs> getting on to more pretension later, folks. Oh, um, But, yeah, so Amy's always been a big... I've always been a big fan of hers um, and what she's done and, and like... I don't know. It's, you know, she was just pure talent, like, God-given. And pure rock and roll. Like, she was kind of, like, one of the last true, like, rock and rollers. Like, I feel like kind of Miley Cyrus has really started to embrace her rock side in the last, like, year and a half. But, like, prior to that, like, Amy Winehouse was the last, like, real rocker that we got in the last ten years, in my opinion. I don't know. I... Yes, I guess I would have to ask you to, like, define rocker a little more. I don't um, know, I guess just the lifestyle, the the voice, the talent, the uh, the sales, the acclaim, just all, the whole, she was the last whole package that we got. Yeah, if you're going to talk about, I guess, I don't know if she was, like, such a pop culture icon, though, is, like, I mean, you got to talk about, like, Kanye, unfortunately, or, like... Well, like Taylor. You can talk about like pop and rap stars, but they're not like it's. It, I feel like Amy was the last like rock, rock. Yeah, like like genre specific. I mean, if you want to get what like I meant. more more so than like the celebrity story. It depends on it if you want to include like, like Fall Out Boy, like some of those emo bands. Well, because like Fall Out Boy and Green Day, especially like those were rock bands. That I guess were, that like, was kind of happening at the same time as. Billy Joe Armstrong stuff, wasn't it? Yeah. Because yeah. Uh, his meltdown at iHeart was in 2009 or 10? 11? I thought it was later than that. 12? But I could be wrong. I can't I don't remember. Have I think it was either my freshman year of college. That was I a while ago. I can't remember anything that happened before 2015, so don't ask me. Well, <laughs> it's been the dark times. <laughs> in um, the before times, yeah, actually. Anything uh, before 2019. Right. <laughs> uh, but moving on, um, let's move on to your my uh, number, number four, four album, yeah. My number four is Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge oh, okay. from My really Chemical Romance. The... Yeah, actually, yeah. Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge is my favorite album of theirs. Um, really? Yeah, I don't know why. Um, 
Well, I guess I do know why. The Black Parade was kind of what drew me into being a My Chemical Romance fan. Like, it was the sort of story of that album that presented itself as, like, such an alluring feature to a theater kid, such as myself. But then I started listening to more of their older music, and it reminded me so much of, like, the older, like, grungier, punkier stuff that I'd listened to so much as a child. And in particular, Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge had so many, like songs on it that conjured up such specific images for me such as cemetery drive um helena which helena 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 and if i will play i will play the misfits song for you that where they pronounce death helena yeah so they yeah they pronounce it helena so i pronounce it that way because of the misfits but, uh, yeah, it's, it's just the whole album tells such, like, a well, vivid story for me. Well, if we took all our me. life cues from Danzig, I think well, we'd be in a very different place it's... right now. Yeah, well, <laughs> I was listening to Danzig earlier today, so I don't know that I could really make much of a rebuttal. But uh, <laughs> Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge being what I feel is my favorite My Chemical Romance. Hey, I don't man, know. <laughs> like I've told you many, many times, I'm Not Okay is one of my favorite music videos well, ever Well, it's one made. of my favorite music music videos of theirs it was like before the black parade so it was like just email music before concept well, you know like, it was just well, like i mean i think it was, okay it was it was so kind of like it was a concept but like the Especially album the, music video. the album itself they went back later and said that the album itself was a story which you can google it and get into what the story of the album actually is it's actually kind of interesting yeah, but that retroactive art you know but like it it was emo music that was free of concept that a band that later became so beholden to concept was known for. So yeah. I, I don't know. I, it was just like, I felt like that album was my chemical romance in their purest form. So I really, and, yeah. and some of my favorite songs of theirs are on that. The jet set life is going to kill you is one of my favorite, my chemical romance songs. And, and thank you for the venom. And just like a whole bunch of really, whole bunch of bangers as as the kids say are on that one so i mean i'm not okay that's my is, number four <laughs> is the first mcr song i ever heard so like is it re- well see i yeah. i always thought that the sharpest lives was the first my chemical romance song that i ever heard but then i recently remembered that i actually think that that's wrong because i think that when i was a little kid i saw the helena music video on mtv when my grandma was babysitting me because because really? when I saw the music video later, I was like, I've seen this before. I remember this. I had a nightmare about it. Because I did have a nightmare about it. And I was, like, terrified of it. My parents were like, what were you watching at my grandma? And, like, it was a whole thing. <laughs> yeah. So I think that Helena was actually... I, I don't... I, there's, of course, no way to confirm that. But I think Helena was actually the first MCR song I ever heard. But no. the first conscious one that I remember of was The Sharpest Lives. But anyways. Mm-hmm. Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge. Go check it out. <laughs> yeah. It's a good album. Not the one I thought you were going to pick. I mean, you literally, just for those who don't know, she did do, like, what, two and a half hour podcast about the Black Parade. Yeah. Oh, I could talk about My Chemical Romance for many more hours. So I just figured the Black Parade was the one you were going to go with. Well, I do love the Black Parade. The Black Parade is probably in my honorable mentions. Let's let's look. Let's see. It's in mine. But the reason I didn't put it on my list is I thought you were going to put it on your list. It's not, actually. My my honorable mentions list seems oddly incomplete. Um, I I think mine fills it out a little bit. I probably thought that I was going to go back to it, and then I never did. So that's probably what what this is going to reflect. God damn, I edited mine down like 
20 yeah. minutes before this podcast. You did, like, sorry, 20 minutes everybody. ago. Well, sorry. Well, see, that's a nice, because because they're getting your, like, most recent takes and takes from me six months ago. So. That's true. <laughs> um, so let's go to my number four, then. Uh, my number four uh, is is a real boy by Say Anything. Hmm. Um, uh, Shouts out to Grant Vance for introducing me to Say Anything. You have him to thank for pretty much my whole aesthetic after I was 19 years old. Hi, Grant. Yeah, I love you, buddy. Sorry, I'm really bad at returning your calls. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, is a real boy by saying anything. So I just love the story of this album, um, the story of this band and Max Bemis in particular. Um, but it has so many great songs on it. The Writhing South. That's my favorite Say Anything song. Yeah, I mean, admit it's fucking awesome. Um, <laughs> Alive with the it. Glory of Love, um, Belts is freaking great. Uh, Yellow Cat, Red Cat. Um, Spider Song. I always recommend critics. I always recommend this album to people, and people have never listened to it before. Even people who are like super into emo music and stuff. So I feel like it's something that's kind of sort of getting like. Well, it was oh. so it's so interesting because like it came out in two thousand four, and it was like pretty a pretty hot album. And Max Bemis wrote and recorded and played all the instruments and everything himself. And it was originally supposed to be a concept album for a musical that he was going to write for his thesis while he was at art school. And then he suffered a little bit of some mental pro- like mental you know, instability problems and couldn't finish it as a musical and so just converted it into an album. And like, Honestly, it was it works a, better as an album. I mean, look, once we make some millions of dollars, I'm going to call up <laughs> Max Bemis and I'm going to make that dream a reality. Off, that's, our, off our Patreon, yeah. Yeah, but... Um, <laughs> But, I mean, yeah, so it was a really hot album in 2004 because, like, Alive with the Glory of Love was used in a Scrubs episode. Was it really? Yeah, the episode where J.D. and um, Sarah Chalk's character, Elliot, read, yeah. right? Yeah. The, the episode where they kiss each other. For the first time. For the first time when they're sleeping on the beds on the break room in the hospital. Yeah. That is to the tune of Alive with the Glory of Love. Oh, for real? Yeah. I'm going to have to go back and look at that because yeah. I've definitely seen the first, like, five solid seasons of Scrubs, and I do not remember that at all. So. Yeah, I don't remember a lot of Scrubs <laughs> either. Uh, somebody told me that, and I, I didn't believe I remember loving them. it. I remember laughing the whole time. I remember it, like, it was, like, one of those shows that I watched, like, with that 70s show where it was just, like, on all the well, time. it was, like, one that my parents would always DVR, so I'd always watch it when I was home. Yeah. But then I could never watch it around them because my mom would always be like, you should go to med school, like, kind of low-key whenever <laughs> we'd watch it. And I'd be like, this is a TV show, mom. See, my parents <laughs> like, started doing that after I told them I want to be an artist. So. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so uh, back, yeah, is a Real Boy, though, one of my favorite albums. And, like, literally, I didn't know about Say Anything till I was in college. So, like, all my knowledge is retroactive. I'm definitely not a poser. I was not there from the beginning. Um, somehow in my emo punk phase when I was in middle school, I missed Say Anything. Um, I think I, I did was, too. Honestly, I think it, well, the whole well, time. I think it was because of the gap in between albums. Because Israel Boy came out in 2004, and uh, In Defense, their second one, didn't come out till like 2008 or nine because of Max. Well, like, and, and so much of the fandom that I like, I guess, came up through when I was in high school was just like centered around three bands, and they were MCR, Panic, and Fall Out Boy. See, now, and so everything else was tertiary off of those three. That by the time that I was in high school, it felt like. See, my my middle school was Green Day, Death Cab because they were a local Seattle band, and I was living in Tacoma, and Fall Out Boy. 
Love Death Cab. Because From Under a Cork Tree is fucking awesome. It still is. What's your favorite song on From Under a Cork Tree? I mean, Dance Grand Vance is my favorite song. Grand Vance? Grand Vance! I like Out of Van Halen. Um, Dance Dance for those not in the know. (laughs) Um, It's just a fun, like, semi-hardcore emo song. Um, So, yeah, is a real boy, though. Back to that. Like, I just love... Um, the things it says and the way it gets to him and like the characters that Max creates that kind of sets up the whole career of Say Anything and like the way he can expound on all that and I mean it's been a while since I've gone back to the Say Anything's music since they've finished um, kind of being a band because like there's just so much attached to them for me like because like it literally even our relationship is built around their music in a way yeah totally. um, <laughs> And well, so, I like, mean, there's it's just a lot for me to go back to their discography. There's a reason that I know you you do not use Spotify in the same way that I use Spotify, but every year Spotify gives you a wrapped playlist, and for the last like three years, say anything has been my most listened to band, and the reason for that is I think because of the characters that he creates in his music yeah. and sort of like the accessibility that he like he just invites you into this world of the song because like because he's it's not really him but it is it and, is and yeah it, exactly and so it be it can be you too and it in like in that you and i have found such like a mutual love for this music and like i remember coming to your house when we first met and asking you like about like all the posters and flags and stuff like that you had up from the band and yeah. we sort of oh, went from I, there. And, I like... don't want to forget Max Neese is also a big Say Anything fan. Yeah. Max and Grant. Yeah. Max <laughs> was the first friend I made at Xavier and then Grant was a tertiary friend that became very, very close. But yeah, like uh, Every Man as a Molly was like anytime we got close to Blackout Drunk, somehow that would get put on a Bluetooth <laughs> speaker because grant or max had weaseled their way into taking over the music whatever party we were at and we would make everyone uncomfortable our freshman year and we loved it and that was great <laughs> but yeah i mean this and then like i mean i've even literally used this music in shows literally as we are recording this album we are sitting in our in our second room and a vinyl copy of it is hanging framed over kyle's shoulder right now so yeah it's it's clearly a foundational album in in our lives and our relationship and and you should check it out if you haven't listened to it max bemis is a pretty cool artist um if you're not familiar with him and his wife's work there and uh i think another thing that i really like about just max bemis and the say anything story in general is another reason that i like um another thing that'll come up later uh spoiler um <laughs> is that it's the when you take the story from is a real boy all the way through to oliver appropriate and especially that 10 page letter essay confession that max wrote about for the breakup of say anything has been confession of his or the the not confession admittance openness coming out of coming out as being it bisexual. was a it was a coming out um coming out as being bisexual it it's the growth part of, of part a human. of it was anyways yeah but it was the, it was just kind of him acknowledging but know. um i like like that whole story in general is like just like i like huck finn is like the growth of a person and the growth of a like an individual when faced with these things that challenge the things they've done before that they're not like a closed-minded individual but they're open to these experiences that they've had because of where they went either college or where their band tours have went or their their um you know journey on mental health has taken them 
and like the way he's transitioned and transformed as a human and understanding himself and the way that like he can acknowledge his past behaviors as being problematic or you know even bad or immoral and be like that was those are bad opinions or bad decisions to have and these are the reasons that like i'm saying these things now um and just seeing that growth is really kind of cool especially when you go back to like because it comes out in his music um more than anything um but moving on to you what are we it's a good segue into my number three, which number happen, three? happens to be Anarchy, My Dear. Ah, oh, fucking really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also by Say Anything. So uh, clearly we're simps for, for uh, Say Anything. But Anarchy, My Dear is uh, sort of a later album of theirs. We love you too, Sherry Dupree. It is. Wife of Max Williams. We love her. Well, that, that album means a lot to me in that it it's... Oddly, it's a later album, which I typically don't like later albums of anyone which is interesting no so it's so it's israel boy in defense of the genre uh-huh. say anything oh you're right yeah and then, and then hebrews and then and, hebrews and then say on it say no no he, and then anarchy my dear sorry yeah hebrews came out when i was in college because that came well out. okay i felt like anarchy my dear came out really late when i was in college it was before they transitioned, because they had, like, the trilogy anyways. Well, whenever it came out, it it is uh, sort of kind sort of a, I don't know how to describe the genre of this album. It's alternative, I guess. That's how I'll describe it. It doesn't really sound like Say Anything, but it also doesn't really sound like... Uh, yeah, it's pretty emo. It's pretty emo, but, like, it's <laughs> not like, I don't know. I don't know. It's, there's some difference. It's a very romantic album at its core. It's like it's a very like, I don't. It's it's romantic in its examination of the self. It's is how get I the feel. Great, yeah. You get the great self-titled song from the band. You do on get that the album. you do get the self-titled song from the band on that album, and you do also get a sequel song on that album. Yeah, admitted again. Admit which again, which frankly, be I I do like it. I do like better than admitted again. And and. Or admit it. Admit it again was the first say anything song I ever heard. Fun fact. What? Yeah. Really? So I uh, uh, actually, yeah. Fun fact. I went to a party at your house oh, when great. I was a freshman. <laughs> yeah, and then you had a song. You had a flag on your wall that said "Anarchy, my dear," and I was like, "What the fuck is that? And why haven't I heard of it?" And I went home and Googled it, and "Admit It Again" was the first song that came up when I Googled "Anarchy, my dear." Wow. Not the song "Anarchy, my dear." Yeah, that's weird. For some reason. But that song came up and I listened to it and I was hooked. So must have been meant to be. <laughs> I guess. Well, uh, I'm going to move on to my Enough numbers. about Say Anything. Yeah. We've uh, worshipped <laughs> we, them we've quite worshiped, enough, yeah, exactly. I think. <laughs> uh, I'm going to move on to my number three and switch up the um, the genre a little bit. My number three is uh, Mad Villainy by MF Doom. Um, this is an album that I'm not familiar with. I know. And it's one of the best hip-hop albums ever. Just like I think ever, ever, ever. Um, I have my high school friend Nick Kanowski to thank for my love of this album. So yeah, my tastes are derived from my friends. Take note of that for later on if you continue listening to this. Um, I am not an original person. I have only my friends to thank for everything I've ever done. Um, but yeah, Mad Villainy, such a great freaking album. I mean, MF Doom 
can spit rhymes like nobody's else. His production value is top notch, and his sampling game's on point. The the exploitation films that he pulls out of, um, if you listen to the intro, actually, I use an intro that he used on Mad Villainy for the intro on our uh, podcast, kind of as an homage to him, because um, he passed <laughs> I didn't recently. Know that. Um, he passed last October, and uh, he's just like really great guy, um, really great artist, always produced for young and up-and-coming artists in New York City, um, like Joey Badass and others, um, and was always an underground guy, not obsessed with signing big and just wanting to do what he wanted to do and helping out people with the platform that he could create for himself. Which I is feel like, like I, even though I'm not familiar with this album, I am familiar with a lot of the work that he influenced, like a lot of Joey Badass's mixtapes and stuff. Yeah, like that. and like we've listened, I've we've listened to this in the car before, and like um, the Mask and the Mouse, yeah. I've played that for sure. Um, I'm sure I've which heard is it. Danger Mouse just, yeah. and MF Doom, and that's fucking sick as shit. Um, but Mad Villainy, like great fucking concept album. Um, and I mean, like, America's Most Blunted is, like, just one of my favorite rap songs. <laughs> like, it's so fucking dope that, like, give me that marijuana exploitation sampling all day, every day. Like, mm, it's so great. Rap? I think my favorite rap song is Pusha T's Nostalgia that has Kendrick on it. Yeah. I think it's probably my favorite rap song. I mean, we'll get we'll get to this in a second, but and I'll tell you my favorite rap song. Oh no, no, yeah, no spoilers. It's coming up next on my next top. No albums. spoilers. Um, because it's ah, oh, god, god damn it, <laughs> I gotta do a lot before I talk about this next one, and I hate that I gotta do that. Hate that I gotta do that now. Oh um, yeah, is it is it perhaps because the artist on your next album kind of went for into a bipolar spin and ran into a, a bipolar depression state. yeah and yeah. like look we it's all have our mental struggles <laughs> us you and me specifically definitely do but like and like i wish him the best help we'll, i will name him in a second i wish um, him the best of the help but he should also shut the fuck up about abortion just gonna say it. And Trump. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Trump. It seems um, like it seems like fucking, he has let's been get, seeking. Let's get out of that you know, shit right now. And that everything. Um, MF Doom and Matt Villainy, please, if you haven't listened to it, um, I. I haven't listened to it, and I will after this. After well, your. Uh, you've listened to it. You just didn't know. I well, I will go. Con- I will go. <laughs> put the. I will put the name to the sound then. In um, that case. So let's move on to your number two. My number two. Um, my number two is a band that I have oft tried to get you to love as much as I love. And I think that you, rec- yeah, you recognize them, but it is a band that I've been listening to since I, I was 15 like years old. It's called The Dust of Retreat by Margo and the Nuclear So-and-Sos. And this is their debut album. I honestly couldn't decide among their albums, uh, which one was my favorite, um, because they're all good for different reasons. And the band Margo and the Nuclear So-and-Sos has always only been this kind of one guy, Richard Edwards, and the people he's gotten to play instruments for him. The band has sort of been just like this rotating ensemble. Some At one point it was like 11 people. Now it's like six different people than the 11 people that were previously. Wow, is that big of a piece? Yeah, it was a chamber pop band chamber pop quote-unquote yeah they were well you know to be fair i might not have listened to them as much as you want me to listen to but you also didn't watch the movie that they named themselves after until last week but i didn't feel like i i needed to do that until now but it gives it it gives it it gives you a tone sure but 
the Dust of Retreat being sort of one of the more influential albums of, of my youth in that the first four albums that Margo and the Nuclear So-and-Sos put out were the first the four that I listened to the most in high school. And this one is like their most artistically sound, I feel like. It is a full orchestra almost in some songs. The lyricism is at once vague and incredibly specific to their situation so that even a high schooler who had never you know experienced some of the things that they experience in those songs um could empathize with it you know actually i i had the chance to see margo and the nuclear so and before they broke up when i was in like 10th grade and i was gonna go with my high school best friend and her mom listened to a few of the songs and said we couldn't go because it was too dark <laughs> so <laughs> I ended up getting strep throat that weekend and my dad, because my dad was going to take me because, because he's a G, but he, he didn't because I had strep. But, um, yeah, their, their first album is just like a completely unique orchestral and, and really sad piece of art that like anybody who's, you know, ever been a fan of indie music should check out. Means a lot to me as a person. Y'all should, y'all should look at it. (laughs) Well, uh, moving on to the quagmire, that is now going to be my number two. <laughs> um, my number two album is uh, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy by Kanye West. Well, and... see, I think this is going to be a quagmire for a lot of people, because I think a lot of people think this is one of the best albums of the last ten years. Look, this would be my number one if he didn't do the things he's done in the last like, oh, two to God, three years. Oh, God, what an idiot. And, like, <laughs> I, I understand that, like, make a majority of the things that he has done derives the problems from his own mental illness and his inability to address it because of either his religious beliefs or inability to um, accept it fully and everybody struggles with that. But the man's done some kind of, like, unforgivable quote shit. And, like, that sucks. But, dude, the guy's music. Like, you can't deny it. The The man literally sees sound. He has synesthesia and literally sees sound. And once again, my love for this album comes from a friend of mine, this time in college, Will Clemens. um, Will Shaggy, excuse me, Will Shaggy Clemens, um, who really got me back into Kanye when I was in college. But, like, this album is just top to bottom. Like, the way that To Pimp a Butterfly, the way that To to Pimp a Butterfly is, like, a a jazz arrangement of a rap album my beautiful dark twisted fantasy is an orchestral arrangement i mean i see i always from power to gorgeous to runaway which is that's my favorite rap song of all time is runaway and it's gorgeous is one of my favorites but runaway you see you get the same song front and back i always thought of this album I, I listen to it a lot because... Because uh, I make you listen to it a lot. No, well, <laughs> that and when I went to Europe with my family, I thought that I had downloaded a lot of music, and in fact, I did not. I only downloaded two albums, uh, Lana Del Rey's Honeymoon and My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. So for three weeks, that was all I had to listen to. Um so I had a lot of time to think about my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy in Europe. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the thinking that I did about it was as an orchestral piece, as a ballet almost. Mm. As like this just sort of like 
you you've never really seen ballet or anything like that, but it just no, matches up just so so uh, much with like the expressiveness and like the melodrama that is like a dance performance, and yeah. especially since black artists are, re- are readily underrepresented in in the ballet. Well, and it's just like it would be cool to see. Not only does this song, does this oh, sorry, does this album have um, artistically like. S plus tier songs, but like it also has just, just fucking bangers, dude. Just like, like I mean, Monster, Power, Power. You want to go Devil in a New Dress? Fucking Rick Ross? Are you kidding yeah. me? Yeah. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me, dude? Or fucking Nikki's fucking verse off of Monster? Like it's such a top to bottom, across the board good album. From if you want to just like jam to something super hard, if you want to get really introspective about your life, and like. You can take this album in so many ways, and like full admission, I've listened to this album while baked out of my mind, while fucking tripping on shrooms. Mm-hmm. Like the first time I ever tripped on shrooms, like with my friend Shaggy and Grant, we like my beautiful dark twisted fantasy was the literal soundtrack to that trip, and like it was insane. It was that for four hours, and then it was the Doors for four hours. If you and, talk like, more about your college friends, you're gonna sound like I'm sorry. Kavanaugh. Sorry, <laughs> my bad. My bad. <laughs> I didn't. I don't know what boofing is. Okay, I really don't. I don't have a, a friend named Squee or P. I don't have a friend named P or Donkey Doug. Oh, Matt Damon, if you're listening, your Kavanaugh impression made our 2020. Um, but like, I mean, but then on top of everything else in that album, you also get, I mean, the end of it, Lost in the World and Who Will Survive in America. That like. Ends on a Malcolm X speech. Yeah, like, no, it's fuck, not bro? Malcolm X. It's, oh, sorry. Oh, um, wow. Richard Pryor. I'm sorry. pretty sure. Wow. Wow. I think it's Richard Pryor. Ah, Anyways, I could be wrong, but I who will survive in America? I'm pretty sure was not Malcolm X. I I'm gonna mm, be called out on the air, but uh, I also might be called out on the air. Oh, it's um, Gil Scott. So both of us were wrong. We're both fake people. Well, oh, we're sorry. We apologize. We yeah. learn every day. We grow and we, we learn do. every day. Yes, and now I'm um, gonna learn more about who Gil Scott was and how he I made think, how he know. came to make such an it's excellent a quick speech. Google. Yeah. Yeah, it's Gil Scott. Um, wow. Now I feel fake. Well, I'm gonna go pay, pay my respects to Gil Scott <laughs> after this. There's the uncredited Chris Rock sample too, um, which is <laughs> fucking incredible. Who bought you these shoes? Um, well. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's just for all the problems that Kanye has, that's been the one hardest one for me to try to separate the artist from the art from. Just because I felt like his music was so biographical. Yeah. And it's really hard for me to understand a man that could write something like New Slaves or, um, you know, uh, yeah, Strange Ye- Fruit. Yeezus is hard to reconcile with who Kanye's become. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, Exactly. I guess I am not an African American person, so Neither I really can't speak very to white, more of that. Very Irish. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's it's but it's still an album that I haven't been able to listen to in a really long time, actually, and I want to go back and listen to it again. But it's one that sticks in my mind. It's one that I could tell you every lyric right now. Honestly, yeah. You give me the backing. You give me the backing time. beats for those songs. I could I could do everything right now. I used to listen to that all the time, and I guess I really haven't listened to that. Yeah. Um, but let's move on to your last one. Number one. Number one on your albums list. Number one all-time favorite album. What do you think my all-time favorite <laughs> album is, Kyle? I don't want to start a fight. 
What? It wouldn't start a fire. I just want to know what you think it is. God, if it's not. What do you think it is? I've already mentioned Margo. I know. Alice. There's a band that you haven't mentioned that I'm surprised. Is it In Utero? No. No? Bleach? It's Unplugged in New York. So the song that I thought was your number yeah, five is no, your number one. Unplugged in New York is is will and will always be my favorite album. Ah, I think I. I just missed the order. It, there's something so real and just I don't know. Performances have live performances have been something. Not to get emo on you all for a second, but <laughs> <laughs> live performances have been something that we've been doing since ancient times with ancient theatrical performances and orations and stuff like that. And the fact that we have a, a recording of such a perfectly imperfect live performance from a band that like was known for perfect imperfection, that album just seems like a miracle to me. The fact that we get a cover of Man Who Sold the World oh. with uh, the mic feedback still in it. They didn't take that out. They take they leave all the banter. And all the MTV albums, like the Alice in Chains and the Pearl Jam albums that they do, like they do, they keep the banter in there and everything. But they, they just keep the conversation between Kurt and his bandmates. And this was just so only so many weeks before he passed away, unfortunately. And I don't know, just the album is just such like a pure expression of artistry that got such a widespread audience. And honestly, isn't that the goal of every artist is to be able to express themselves wholly in front of the biggest audience they can. And I feel like that was a rare instance in history that that somebody actually got to do that. So that will literally always be my favorite album. And in, and as far as like performances, recorded history and stuff like that, like it's pretty cool that we got to see a, a recorded performance that was that important. So that's my number one. I also love all the covers that they do of the Melvin songs and uh, Plateau and Where Do Bad Folks Go When They Die? Uh, Lake of Fire will always be some of my favorite favorites. Mm -hmm. Lyrically, so. You know what's really, really funny? What? My number one album's also a live album. Is it? Yep. Can you well, guess what it is? Your number one album's also a live album. Mm -hmm. mm. It's also a live album. It's a concert recording. It's a stadium concert. It's a stadium concert? Mm -hmm. I'll even give you the decade, 1970s. Uh, okay, it was something that Zeppelin did then, right? Yeah. Um. So, so what? How the West was won. How the West was won. Yeah, the that recording of the nineteen seventy three. Yeah. That's LA your concert. number one album, dude. Have is you How heard? the West was won. Have you heard it? I have, but like, it's so good. I guess it's, I never thought critically about it. It's the Ze it's <laughs> Zeppelin's best hits. Bottom goes on a thirty minute drum solo from Moby <laughs> Dick. Thirty fucking minutes of just drums. What the fuck? <laughs> it's so good. You have some of the best versions of Whole Lot of Love. Like, it has my best, my favorite songs from Zeppelin. It's like a best of hits on their best performance. And yeah, they were probably all on fucking acid. Well, but like, holy shit, that concert, that concert is, goes down in history as one of the best rock and roll concerts of all time. Zeppelin's my favorite band of all time. And like, yeah, if I want to put on something that's going to make me feel good, I'm going to listen to all the time, I'm going to know all the words to, all the motions, it's going to be how the West was won because, because for a big reason, when I was in eighth grade, I had to do this thing called Battle of the Bands, where I had to portray a band 
with three of my closest Wait, friends. Wait, where were you living in eighth grade? New Jersey? New Jersey. Yeah. St. Mary's of Bordentown, New Jersey. New Jersey. Kyle, so, for, for those of you with no context, Kyle has lived everywhere in America. <laughs> uh, yeah, five different schools from 13 to 17. Um, we love it. But so St. Mary's of Bordentown, me and my three closest friends, Nick Fiorentino, Garrett, uh, fuck, what was his name? I can't remember. And me Tim. And P. And, t- and Squish. And Tim something. And we have the calendars. <laughs> but we all, the four of us, were Led Zeppelin. I was Robert Plant. Uh, my friend Nick was Jimmy Page, but he ended up not being able to be there, so our friend Chris had to sub in for him. You got to tell my mom that you were Robert Plant Dude, at one point. It was terrible. <laughs> it was awful. I took a white Oxford shirt and I tie dyed it for my costume, and I wore that with like three buttons opened, with like some jeans and some black dress shoes. It was terrible. I was voted best costume in the Battle of the Bands. Fun facts: fourteen-year-old costume designer Kyle Daniels. Oh, man. Um, no, but to, to get ready for that, I bought myself How the West Was Won from Barnes & Noble for a good $35. I know what time it is. I know. I'm, on, I'm aware. Um, and, yeah, I think it's one of my favorite albums of all time. <coughs> Personally. That was an unexpected answer from you, but... I'm pleasantly surprised. Yeah. <laughs> um, should we move on to... Uh, should we? What category should we do next? I, I think know. we should end with movies. We should end with movies? Well, we're a movie podcast. We are so a movie podcast. I feel like the rest of this is just extraneous so information. should we go to... Should we do any honorable mentions? Let's just run down honorable mentions my, real quick. Okay, my honorable... Rapid fire, no talking about them, just list them. My, honor, mm, my honorable mentions, let me unlock my, my iPhone here in just a second. Just um, give me the album and the band. Given the face what, recognition. What? All right, my honorable mentions. Kids See Ghosts by Kids See Ghosts. Animals That's, by... That is... Uh, who's that? Kanye. Wiz Khalifa. No, it's not. What? Wiz no, Khalifa? It's Fuck. Kanye God and it. Kid Cudi. Kid Cudi. God damn it. Why okay. am I so bad at um, remembering shit? Kid Ghosts, question mark, <laughs> which sorry. was Kanye and Kid Cudi's collaboration. Um, Animals by Pink Floyd and Allison Changes Dirt, which I wrote a whole 16-page theology paper on one time, if anybody is curious about that. <laughs> All right, here's my quick honorable mentions. Uh, Funhouse by The Stooges. Uh, White Album by The Beatles. Camp by Childish. Uh, Fever Can't Sweat Out, which I think might be the greatest emo album ever made by Panic. Might be. We'll talk about it later. Um, B by Common and Ziggy. And Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. And Louder Now, because I think it has the first, the best three-song ripoff of any album of all time. Fucking start with Make Damn Sure, Liar, and uh, uh, fucking, uh, what is it? What does it feel like to be a ghost? It's a hot three songs to come off of, to start an album with. Those are my honorable mentions. Next category. I liked that you burped between every single one of those Not every honorable single mentions. One. It was. I was getting my breath. I was if, getting my breath. If the court reporter will play back the record, I Julie, court that. reporter, strike it. <laughs> Let's move on. All um, right. Next category. Let's go to TV shows. Let's go to something we're watching. All right. Um, so let's go with number five. Hit me. My number five top TV show. Um, 
on October. I don't know if this list is is still accurate, no. but but we'll see. What have you watched since October? I don't know, but my number five is The Twilight Zone, like the original okay. from the sixties. We were watching and, a lot of Twilight Zone in October. Well, and it's just a show I've watched my whole life. It's yeah, self-explanatory. It's a good show. Rod Serling is, as an artist, somebody that I respect almost more than anyone. Um, and I love the way Hollywood, that, like, yeah. like um, MF Doom that we were talking about earlier, another artist that uses his platform to just bring other artists back to his level. If you read about his life and just, like, sort of the trauma that he underwent in the Second World War and, like, what he fought against regarding, like, the Hayes Code and being blacklisted in the 60s to be able to make that Twilight Zone the way that he wanted to make it, it's pretty cool that he was able to make some of those episodes. And, and just the... Aside from even the real groundbreaking ones, even the boring ones where it's like, oh, it's just a giant supercomputer in a cave controlling the whole thing or whatever. Like, they're all pointed in a way that modern satire is not anymore. Imaginative in a way that I feel like we do not pay tribute to anymore, like, as far as being based on short stories and philosophy and essays and stuff like that. And it's just... It's just such an anomaly in uh, in pop culture, and it's something that I will always want love going back to. Yeah, I always love the Twilight Zone. I think what was the first Twilight Zone episode you saw? Do you remember? Mm. It was the one um, with Billy Mummy in it as the kid, and he wishes everybody to the cornfield. Is that Needful Things? No, it's it's like where everybody's got to be happy all the time. Oh, it's a very good place. Yeah, it's like, like it's like it's yeah. a good town, and yeah. yeah, it's that's the first one I can remember. Seeing. I think the first one I saw was the guy in the diner that sells things to or gives things. It's to what people. you need. It's yeah. what you need. It's yeah. uh, Stephen King ended up writing a whole novel called Needful Things that I feel like was a total ripoff of that episode. But, yeah, I do remember that one. <laughs> I think that was the first one I saw, but, yeah. And, like, like I was saying, like, just Rod Sterling is just one of those artists, again, that used whatever little platform he might have had to just bring uh, the other artists that he liked the work of or saw good quality in up to his level. And, like, I always think as an artist, like, that's what is some of the most important things you can do is, like, whatever platform you've got, use it for the people that don't have the voice that need it. You exactly. Know? And just... It's it's always great to see. Um, so my number five TV show is a little show called Eastbound and Down. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Eastbound and Down. Uh, I goddamn love that show. I honestly I hadn't watched that show till this fucking year. Yeah. I watched it. What was it? October. Same. It was, September? yeah, it was not that long ago that we started watching it. But, yeah, just watch that show, and Danny McBride freaking kills it. Everybody in that show freaking kills it. That first season... Katie Mixon <sighs> is so funny. These motherfuckers, Stevie, are the church group? These motherfuckers are the church group. Oh, my <laughs> God. Just, His portrayal it's... of the South, as someone who's lived in the South, is just, like, so spot on. And, like, I'm saying, if I grew up below the Mason-Dixon line for my whole life and I was into baseball, I'm not saying I would be Kenny Powers, but, like, I might be an approximation of it. Oh, my God. And, and April is just <laughs> such a... Sh- 
Oh my God, and Stevie. So the Southern and, Belle. Oh, oh. The, there's so many good moments in that show. It's it All ran the cameos for, and guest stars. It ran for a perfect amount of time too. I feel yeah, like yeah, was it three, four seasons, four seasons, yeah, yeah, just the perfect amount. Will Ferrell was in it. Craig Robinson was in it. It's oh, just great show. Some good stuff. Some, and Adam Scott. Some oh. great laughs. Oh, Adam Scott. Matthew McConaughey. How can we forget Matthew McConaughey? Oh, oh yeah, I forgot he. I forgot the he coach. made an appearance. Yep. Oh man. Yep. He sticks the playbook in the front of his pants like a dick, and it's the best I, choice an actor's ever made. I don't even like baseball, and <laughs> this show had so little to do with the actual sport of baseball that I ended up really enjoying Look, it. as someone <laughs> that could never hit more than a single in Little League, but I could steal my way to third base, I love this fucking show. Um, so, moving on to your number four? My number four? I haven't said anything yet. Said, oh, about Eastbound? Well, please. Well, no, I haven't yours. said anything. Oh, oh, just. I forgot. We'd already talked about the Twilight Zone. It is. We'll mm-hmm. just... It's been about an hour recording, so I understand. We can Anyways. Just, we can just edit that part out. Nah, okay. we're keeping it in. Yes. Okay. <laughs> You're number four. My number four is a show that you um, should be more familiar with at this point in our relationship. It is a little show called The Simpsons. Um, something that I grew up watching. Still not that familiar with it. it. It's so strange to me that you didn't grow up watching The Simpsons. Well, my family didn't because, let me watch it. Well, it's that's weird to me because like I I literally been watching The Simpsons since I was like twelve or thirteen. Yeah. No. Like even really earlier than that, like when we would be in hotels and stuff like that. Like when I was a little kid, I didn't really watch a lot of TV, but like. When we'd be traveling and my parents would put cable on, that that's what I'd, they'd always land on nah. and shit. Like, it's, I could it's watch CSI, something that, but not The Simpsons. It's just something that, like, always was so in my memory. Anyways, The Simpsons um, has sort of evolved with the times as a, sort of a commentary-style humor, sight-gag-style humor. Um, I will never get over how funny some of the episodes of The Simpsons are and how accurate they continue to be till this day. Um... That is all I will say on the subject. That's it? That's it. You're not going to go on? That's I mean, it. if you want to know I expected about, an hour. If you want to know about the fucking Simpsons, Google it. It's been on TV for 36 <laughs> years. Excuse I me. Don't, you, do you need to hear about the Simpsons from me? Somebody that's grown up watching it? Like, everybody's grown up watching it at this point. I think that's the point of podcasting, point. right? Well, I think everybody's grown up watching it at this point. If you want to hear me talk about the Simpsons, then let's do a Simpsons podcast. Like, I'm not going to, like... You, Go watch it if you're not familiar with it and you don't know the merits of it or the oh, cultural milieu of The Simpsons. Yeah. The milieu. So my number four is another animated show, uh, a little more recent though, um, BoJack Horseman. Oh, that's my number three. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my number three, it, I hope my number three is on your list somewhere. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, my number four is BoJack. I, a show that I definitely watched from the beginning and always binge through. Um, it's on Netflix for those who haven't seen it. Um, Eastbound's on HBO for those who haven't seen it. The Simpsons is on Disney Plus, and Twilight Zone's on Netflix, right? Yeah. Yeah, Twilight Zone's on Netflix. So those where you, that's where you can watch them if you haven't seen that stuff. Um, but yeah, BoJack is a Netflix show. Um, just, uh, I hate to say that I identify a lot with the things that BoJack goes through, but I definitely do. And like, um, it's well, kind of like just that the sad boy that shit. Performance artists go through. 
Well, and like the episode the that I always, <laughs> the episode that I always think about that I really relate most to is that episode that's old. That's like ninety five percent of BoJack's head. You know, the one where he's like, "Oh, why'd you do that, asshole, fucking douchebag?" Blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And but then on top of those things, it also has like piss your pants funny episodes like Boreanaz House. Oh my god, Boreanaz House is so fucking funny. And then even in later seasons, Celebrity, what do they know? Do they know stuff? Let's find well, out. Celebrities, what do they know? Do they know things? Or Let's I can't be- I can't believe people hate women more than they hate or people, more, people hate women more than they hate guns. People or? hate women more than they love guns. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. <laughs> And then it has, like, incredibly artistic episodes, like Free Churro, which is just, like, a 20-minute fucking monologue by Will Arnett. And it's a great show. It's a great... Or the exhi- silent episode. It's a great exhibition of voice acting. It's a great exhibition of writing. It's a great culmination of, like, what animation Psych has become eggs. to adults. Yeah, in the last puns, 20 years, Psych Gags, puns. It was. It's a whole world inside of itself. It's a really excellent foray into animation, if you're not... It, if you're not, you know, somebody that likes to watch a lot of that stuff, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like so. it got me back into that kind of. Oh, so you've always been a fan of animation. It's definitely not something I've never been able to get away from. All right, so um, let's move on to your number three, right? Number three. Well, my number three was Bojack. So oh, your number three is Bojack. Any, just... Anything else on Bojack? I mean, no, other than the fact that it is a show that a lot of the writers are women, and you can tell yeah. in their female characters, and that's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so my number three, then? Uh, so my number three is a little show called Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh, Katar, where are you? Is that on your list? No. Ooh. Okay. It's not even in my honorable mentions, wow, TBH. Yeah, actually, uh, that's an o- that is an oversight on my part. Where is our little Katara? I don't know. He's around. It's fine. Um, so, yeah. My my uh, number three is Avatar The Last Airbender. Um, it's one of the first shows I ever remember watching beginning to end on. Um, it premiered when I was in fourth grade back in 2004. And it's an incredible show. It blends um, some of my favorite art styles. I was, you know, borderline weeb for my whole life. Probably still now. Um, <laughs> That's what you like to hear. <laughs> watch some anime. Read some manga and that kind of thing and avatar is a blend of american humor styles with with um japanese and uh asian art styles and is really just um a really fun show that has a lot of heart a lot of humor and um it's just it just surpasses what a kid show can be it it's it, it's remarkable the things that it can accomplish um in the way that it tells stories i mean Zuko again, like the same reason why I huck, like Huck Finn or why I like, um, you know, Max Fuse's story is like Zuko's the story of a guy that learned everything he ever knew was wrong, and um, it's just so great. And Iroh might be the greatest character that's ever been written in fiction. <laughs> um, I just I had never seen <clears throat> I didn't see it as a child. Um, I hadn't seen it until this last year. And I was so impressed by the world building of it and how, like, easily... Yeah, what about that cat deer, though? Easy. Oh, accept the animal. (laughs) Hybrids. I can accept that you bend elements, but I can't accept that there's such thing as a goddamn cat deer. Not turtle ducks? Oh, no. None of it. Stop it. Stop. You know. You know how much I hate them. (laughs) 
Besides, that's why they didn't make my list, is because how much these animal hybrids piss me off. I love them But so aside much. from that, how quickly and easily and just, like, unabashedly I bought into the world. That yeah, we named our cat after a character. We named our cat Katara. We falsely and misgendered un- our cat. Unfortunately, we got our cat's gender wrong, but... He seems to really like the name, so we're going to keep it. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> but I think that speaks to the quality of the show in that um, that was something that I fell for really easily. And it was, like, nice to get that experience of feeling like a kid again, almost. in that, like, having that experience where you, wherein you read, like, Harry Potter or Percy Jackson for the first time. And it was just something new that I hadn't experienced yet as a child. So it was a comfort. In this very trying time. (laughs) Um, Your number two? My number two is a show called Twin Peaks. Oh, so is mine. Really? Yeah. My number two, Twin Peaks. Nice. High five. (laughs) Well, there we go. Number two. (laughs) Boom. We like each other, guys. Love love Twin Peaks. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, what's there to say? David Lynch is, like, fucking um, awesome. The first episode of Twin Peaks, in in, in and of itself, is just a movie on its own. Yeah. Yeah. It's a movie about grief and how a small town deals with shock and just like create such an underlying sense of terror and dread. I just, I, there, there was so much to love about this show, the melodrama of it, the, uh, the way that it used like traditional TV tropes at the time, like soap operas and stuff like that to create something that was completely subversive and completely original and, Something that, if that didn't exist, like, we wouldn't have the prestige TV that we had today. No, and, like, um, from my perspective as a kid that was obsessed with the occult and rented every ghost book you could out of the library and read, I stared at shores until in the dark till he couldn't see anymore. My buy-in was all the occult stuff, like the Black Lodge and, like, the kind of mysticism that David Lynch brought to this uh, noir-type story and, like, the, you know throwing a pebble at a glass jar and that's who did it and now we got to prove how he did it kind of thing and like just the magic in it um just inherently i think kind of amplifies both the story and the the complexity of not only the victim but the murderer and and everyone that was involved in that story it's a 30 year old show no i'm not gonna spoil it i'm not an asshole I don't want to spoil one of the greatest reveals of all time. That's fair. That would be like spoiling Star Wars for someone. Yeah. And I mean, we also did go as, you know, characters from Twin Peaks for Halloween two years ago. We did. It was really cute. You should all look at Instagram for that. Really great. (laughs) Just a really great show. Um, And I mean, what can I, what what more can you say? Like the craft of that show, like you said, it was like the first prestige television. It just set a bar that was so high that like, I mean, The Sopranos and The Wire. And, like, people like to talk about, like, The Sopranos as being the birth of it. But, I mean, I think Twin Peaks might have been the same year Sopranos wouldn't, yeah. Twin Peaks was before, I'm pretty sure. And, like, you might Strike me down if I'm wrong, but... Yeah, God, kill me now. Um, but I think, like, you could really say that Twin Peaks was definitely in, at least, if not the first, in that first wave Wait. of what you would consider prestige television. So what's your number one, then? What's my number one? Yeah. You don't know? No. You don't know. I don't know. Well, we're going to find out in a second after we find out your number one. I'm about to be disappointed. Well, my number one is Arrested Development. Okay. Did you think it was going to be anything else? No. I've seen Arrested Development more than anyone on Earth. (laughs) 
out of anyone on Earth. Uh, the first Ron Howard might watch Arrested Development most because it's the, the only thing that's of quality he's made recently. The first three seasons of Arrested <laughs> sorry, Development. Sorry, Ron Howard, but you just. I'm are, sorry. Since Apollo 13. They shaped me as a person. I don't know. The I, every single time I watch yeah, them, I find something oh new. I'm everything. Every single time I watch them, I find something new. I said that's enough. Every. <laughs> Every single time I watch them, I find some new way to approach the absurdity of the society that's going on around me. It just always makes me feel better. It's, God, it will think, always be my favorite. I think one of my favorite things is watching it like when, like when I was younger in like high school, like right when Netflix was first becoming a thing and Hulu was first becoming a thing, and then um in college watching it again after because i started i went to college initially as a political science student and reading about more of like the bush policies and things in the early 2000s that i was a little young to understand at the time and then watching rest of development after understanding what bush was doing and just all mission the, accomplished the, all on the, the house <laughs> jokes and uh you know everything like that and the political commentary that you pick up on after that is so fantastic god that show's great no, that's not my number one. What's your number one? My number one is The Office. Oh, duh. The most known. complete show that I can, I, I think known. I can ever think of. Another show he... that the first show I ever watched every single night on network television from its pilot to its finale. I have a really horrible habit of not watching TV shows all the way through. Even some of the shows that I have cited on these lists... I won't say which ones, but some of them. I have, I have not watched some of them. I have not watched all the way through. I will fully admit that. Um, the Office was something that I had not watched all the way through until this year. Kyle made me watch the final season of The Office, which was it's, fine. It's, it's not, it was not fine. It was fine. That finale is the best the finale, finale you could ask The finale for. was excellent. The final season was fine. Hmm. <laughs> Mm. I'm an office <laughs> defender. I don't care. I, I love it from beginning to end. Even when Michael Scott leaves, I'll fuck everybody that says it drops off to nothing after Michael Scott leaves. It doesn't drop off to nothing. It just Andy's a great manager. It drops off quite a bit. Andy's a great manager. Yeah. I thought the only thing that was that really that bad was the fucking plot line of Pam trying to get with the sound guy for some fucking reason. Yeah, that was weird. That was weird. That no. was just that just didn't make sense. That was odd. Um. But then, but I mean, it gave you the moment of Jim giving Pam the letter and like the most sweet DVD ever in the history of the world. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, and like, I don't know, it's just that show can make you cry and laugh, piss your pants laughing in the same episode. I can't believe I didn't like, guess that. Holly, like the proposal to Holly. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ, that was man. So good. Goodbye, Toby. <laughs> I mean, we could we could talk for a whole hour and a half about The Office. I'm sure I, that's probably a show that I've seen almost more than anything else too. In the yeah. first season, I mean, besides the the only episodes I really don't watch is the first two episodes. Well, now we don't watch anything because we don't because it's yeah because fucking Peacock. <laughs> Goddamn. Um, but like the when we used to watch it all the time, the only episodes I really couldn't watch were the first two episodes. Because I really didn't think it picked up its pace till basketball, because it was just a mimic of the BBC show for oh, no, I li- I an liked, episode and a half. I liked Diversity Day. I mean, oh, yeah, Diversity Day. <laughs> 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 I'll get it with Larry Fillmore. Um, 
Diversity Day was really good, but basketball, I think, is where it really found its tone. Yeah, agreed. Um, and then the goddamn Sweeney Todd episode. Oh, come on. Jesus that one's Christ. so good. Where he's like, it. is I there can't. a bird in mine pocket? I just. And the guy that's, that, the, guy was, that's huh? the, the guy that's playing the lead is doing such a good job in that situation, and Andy's just continuing oh, to make God. it worse. It is so Hannah, funny. Hannah, Hannah, Hannah. <laughs> and if then, I was that director, I would have gone up on stage <laughs> with a razor Williams? blade and slit his fucking throat myself. Michael? Jesus Christ. Michael Shelby Thomas Weems, the director. <laughs> all of it is so good. <laughs> Daryl makes best... everybody shut up so that he can hear the overture because... Yeah, listen to the overture because unless you listen to the overture, you're not going to understand the themes of the music later then... on the show. <laughs> God damn. But like... Too good. I mean... I think the best part is the credit scene where you see Michael's audition and oh he does the Law and Order his, show. His whole Law and Order. And he does the intro and everything. These are the dun, people dun. and their stories. <laughs> oh, he's dying on the yeah. ground. Oh my god, it's so fucking good. Well, and I feel like he might be one of the better characters. Michael Scott. Characters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael Scott is not a problematic man. He's a man that needed to grow and he did. There we go. Like... That's just what the end of it is. Like, we're all human beings that need to grow. No matter who you are, Michael Scott was one of them. He grew. And absolutely. We got to grow with him as a society. Oh, absolutely. Nice. We, like, grew, we grew more uh, yeah. more tolerant, less homophobic. Less... Absolutely. Yeah. Gay witch hunt? Gay witch hunt uh, helped view my life as a 12-year-old we, boy. We, uh, we all grew together with The Office, which is, uh, I feel like, a, a pleasant note to, to tie this little... First God, part of this episode into a bow. And, yeah, we've yeah. been going a little bit longer than we thought, so we're going to cut it off here um, and let you guys enjoy part one, and then we're going to come back with part two, which is going to be our top five books part and our top two. five movies. Yes. And then we're going to dive into what the actual bones and guts of this podcast is going to be, um, which is going to be an analysis and a talk and a conversations about what I and we are calling quote-unquote middle-class movies, which is those mid-tier cult classic saturday afternoon sunday afternoon movies um so come back and listen to us talk about those we're gonna try to find if you're a fan of manifestos turn in tune in (laughs) hey manifesto already happened all right manifesto Um, is, is getting there but yeah so come come back and listen to us we're gonna try to get better at this i swear um, we'll get there. Yeah, Hang eventually. There. <laughs> um, but yeah, and check us out um, on all the social meds. Our the Couch Potatoes Pod is our Instagram currently. Sweet, and we also have a Gmail at the Couch Potato Pod at Couch Potatoes Pod at Gmail dot com. Um, send us any notes that you may have. We're open to suggestions and things like that. Um, and yeah, tell us what you think. Um, find us. Follow us. And check us out next time. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, like always, I am Kyle Daniels. I'm Hannah Scambolo. And this is The Couch Potatoes. Thank you.